64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor, SF Walker. I am here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. Today, we look at how to change your mind, the new science of psychedelics by Michael Pollan. In this video, we look at a brilliant and brave investigation into the medical and scientific revolution taking place around psychedelic drugs, and the spellbinding stories of Poland's own life-changing psychedelic experiences. Stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I have in use that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. Today, after several decades of suppression and neglect, psychedelics are having a renaissance. A new generation of scientists, many of them inspired by their own personal experience of compounds, are testing their potential to heal mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, trauma, and addiction. Other scientists are using psychedelics in conjunction with new brain imaging tools to explore the links between the brain and the mind, hoping to unravel some of the mysteries of consciousness. Something important and special about psychedelics. The critical influence of set and setting. Set is the mindset or expectation one brings to the experience, and setting is the environment in which it takes place. Compared with other drugs, psychedelics seldom affect people the same way twice, because they tend to magnify whatever is already going on both inside and outside one's head. Carl Jung once wrote that it is not the young, but the people in middle age who need to have an experience of numinous to help them negotiate the second half of their lives. <clears throat> LSD appears to disable such 
conventionalized shorthand modes of perception and by doing so restores a childlike immediacy, a sense of wonder to our experience of reality, as if we were seeing everything for the first time. Study participants ranked their psilocybin experience as one of the most significant and meaningful in their lives, compared it to birth of the first child or death of a parent. Two-thirds of the participants rated the session among the top five most spiritually significant experiences of their lives, and then one-third ranked it the most significant such experience in their lives. A series of trials at Hopkins and then several other universities using psilocybin to treat a variety of indications, including anxiety and depression in cancer patients, addiction to nicotine and alcohol, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, and eating disorders. Psilocybin. What is striking about this whole line of clinical research is the premise that it is not the pharmacological effect of the drug itself, but the kind of mental experience it occasions involving the temporary dissolution of one's ego that may be the key to changing one's mind. For our species, I learned plants and fungi with the power to radically alter consciousness have long and widely been used as tools for healing the mind, facilitating rites of passage, and for serving as a medium for communicating with supernatural realms or spirit worlds. These uses were ancient and venerable in a great many cultures. If you need to be reminded how completely mental habit blinds us to experience. Just take a trip to an unfamiliar country, suddenly you wake up. All the algorithms of the everyday life all but start over as if from scratch. This is why the various travel metaphors for the psychedelic experience are so apt. The efficiencies of the adult mind useful as they are, blind us to the present moment. We're constantly jumping ahead to the next thing. We approach experience much as an artificial intelligence AI program does with our brains continually translating the data of the present into the terms of the past, reaching back in time for the relevant experience, and then using that to make its best guess as to how to predict and navigate the future. The premise of psychedelic research is that this special group of molecules can give us access to other modes of consciousness that might offer us specific benefits, whether therapeutic, spiritual, or creative. Psychedelics are certainly not the only door to these other forms of consciousness but they do seem to be one of the easier knobs to take hold of and turn. 
the class of molecules to which psilocybin and LSD and mescaline DMT and handful of others belong has been called by many names in the decades since they have come to our attention. Initially, they were called hallucinogens, but they do so many other things. And in fact, full-blown hallucinations are fairly uncommon that researchers soon went looking for more precise and comprehensive term. It just so happens that Griffiths, the most unlikely psychedelic researcher, was inspired to investigate the power of psilocybin to occasion a mystical type experience by a mystical experience of his own. Griffith's landmark paper, Psilocybin Can Occasion Mystical Type Experiences, having substantial and sustained personal meaning and spiritual significance, was the first rigorously designed, double-blinded, placebo-controlled clinical study in more than four decades, if not ever, to examine the psychological effects of a psychedelic. But there is no question that, especially in the last several years, Dublin has succeeded in getting important research approved and funded, especially in the case of MDMA which has long been on the MAPS's focus, MAPS has sponsored several small clinical trials that have demonstrated value in treating post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Dublin defines psychedelics generously so as to include MDMA and even cannabis, even though their mechanisms of actions in the brain are very different from that of a classic psychedelic. But beyond helping those suffering with PTSD and other indications, MAPS is sponsoring a clinical study at Harvard UCLA Medical Center that involves treating social anxiety in autistic adults within an assisted psychotherapy. He believes prevalently in the power of psychedelics to improve humankind by disclosing a spiritual dimension of consciousness we all share, regardless of our religious beliefs or lack thereof. Mysticism, he likes to say, is the antidote to fundamentalism. Along with the feeling of ineffability, the conviction that some profound objective truth has been disclosed to you is a hallmark of the mystical experience, regardless of whether it has been occasioned by a drug, meditation, fasting, flagellation, or sensory deprivation. James gave a name to this conviction, the noetic quality. People feel they have been let in on a deep secret of the universe, and they cannot be shaken from that conviction. <clears throat> Great many therapeutic and spiritual modalities were developed and thought over the years, including the therapeutic and spiritual potentials of psychedelics. Beginning in 1973, Stanislav Graf, 
a Czech immigrant psychiatrist who was one of the pioneers of LSD-assisted psychotherapy, served as a scholar in residence in Esselin, but he conducted workshops there for years, even before. Graf has guided thousands of LSD sessions. He once predicted that psychedelics would be for psychiatry what the microscope is for biology or telescope is for astronomy. These tools make it possible to study important processes that under normal circumstances are not available for direct observation. Three unshakable convictions. The first is that the experience of the sacred reported both by the great mystics and by people on high doses of psychedelic journeys is the same experience and is real. That is, it's not just a figment of imagination. You go deep enough or far out in consciousness and you will bump into the sacred. It is not something we generate. It is something out there waiting to be discovered, and this reliably happens to non-believers as well as believers. Second, whether occasioned by drugs or other means, these experiences of mystical consciousness are in all likelihood the primal basis of religion. And third, consciousness is the property of the universe, not the brains. And this question he holds with Henry Bergson, the French philosopher who conceived of the human mind as a kind of a radio receiver able to tune in to frequencies of energy and information that exists outside it. Until Bill Richards administered psilocybin to his last volunteer in 1977, Spring Grove was actively and without much controversy conducting an ambitious program of psychedelic research, much of it under grants from the National Institute of Mental Health. With schizophrenics, alcoholics, and other addicts, cancer patients struggling with anxiety, religious and mental health professionals, and patients with severe personal disorders, it is remarkable just how much of the work being done today at Hopkins and NYU and other places was prefigured in Spring Grove. Indeed, it is hard to find a contemporary experiment with psychedelics that wasn't already done in Maryland in the 1960s and the 1970s. At least at the beginning, the Spring Grove psychedelic work enjoyed lots of public support. In 1965, CBS News broadcast <clears throat> with an admiring hour-long special report on the hospital's work with alcoholics called LSD, the Spring Grove Experiment. The response to the program was so positive that even Maryland's state legislature established a multi-million dollar research facility on the campus of Spring Grove State Hospital called the Maryland Psychiatric Research Center. Stan Groff, Walter Pankey, and Bill Richards were hired 
to help run it along with several dozen other therapists, psychiatrists, pharmacologists, and support staff. By the mid-1970s, the LSD work at Spring Grove, much of which was state-funded, had become a political hot potato in Annapolis. In 1975, the Rockefeller Commission, investigating the CIA, disclosed that the agency had also been running LSD experiments in Maryland at Fort Detrick as part of mind control project called MKUltra. An internal memo that the commission released concisely set forth the agency's objective. Can we get control of an individual to the point where he or she will do our bidding against his own will? or even against the fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation. It was revealed that the CIA was giving both government employees and civilians, without their knowledge, dosing them. At least one person had died. The Hopkins psilocybin experience is the artifact not only of this powerful molecule, but also of the preparation and expectation of the volunteer, the skill and world views of the sitters, Bill Richards' flight instructions, the decor of the room, the inward focus encouraged by the eye shades and the music. And though they might not be pleased to hear it, the minds of the designers of the experiments. Four marks by which you may recognize one mystical experience. The first, and to his mind the handiest, is ineffability. The subject of its immediately says that it defies expression, that no adequate rapport of its contents can its can be given with the possible exception of Bothby, all the volunteers at one point or another despair of conveying the full force of they had experienced. Gamely though they did try, you had to be there, was a regular reframe. The noetic quality is James's second mark. Mystical states seem to those who experience them to be also states of knowledge. They are illuminations, revelations, full of significance, having importance. And as a rule, they carry with them a curious sense of authority. James touches on the banality of these mystical insights. The deepened sense of the significance of a maximum or a formula which occasionally sweeps over one. The mystical journey seems to offer a graduate education in the obvious. Yet people come out of the experience understanding these platitudes in a whole new way. What was merely known is now felt. And it takes on authority of a deeper-rooted conviction. And more often than not, that conviction concerns the supreme importance of love. The fourth and the last mark in James's topo topology is the essential passivity of the mystical experience. The mystic 
feels as if his own will were in abeyance, and indeed sometimes as if he were grasped and held by a superior power, the sense of having temporarily surrendered to a superior force often leaves the person feeling as if he or she has been permanently transformed. If you can create a condition in which 70% of people will say they have had one of the most meaningful experiences of their lives, as a scientist, that is just incredible. Humbled, believed, it is only with our feelings, our senses, and our imaginations, that is, with the faculties of human subjectivity, that we can ever penetrate nature's secrets. Nature everywhere speaks to man in a voice that is familiar to his soul. There is an order and beauty organizing the system of nature, a system that Humboldt, after briefly considering the name Gaia, chose to call Cosmos. But it would never have revealed itself to us, if not for the human imagination, which is itself, of course, a product of nature, of the very system it allows us to comprehend. The modern conceit of the scientist attempting to observe nature with perfect objectivity as if from a vantage located outside it would have been anathema to Humboldt. I, myself, am identical with nature. Nature does, in fact, team with subjectivities. Call them spirits, if you like, other than our own. It is only the human ego, with its imagined monopoly on subjectivity, that keeps us from recognizing them. Our kith and kin, in the sense, I guess, Paul Stamets is right to think that mushrooms are bringing us messages from nature, or at least helping us to open up to read them. I'd always assumed access to a spiritual dimension hinged on one's acceptance of the supernatural, of God, of a beyond. But now, I'm not so sure the beyond, whatever it consists of, might not be nearly as far away or inaccessible as we think. Houston Smith, the scholar of religion, once described a spiritually realized being as simply a person with an acute sense of the astonishing mystery of everything. Faith need not figure. Maybe to be in a garden at feel awe or wonder in the presence of an astonishing mystery is nothing more than a recovery of a misplaced perspective. Perhaps the child likes eye view. Maybe we regain it by means of a neurochemical change that disables the filters of convention of ego that prevents us in ordinary hours from seeing what is like those lovely leaves staring 
us at the face. The fact is that whether by their very nature or the way that first generation of researchers happened to construct the experience, psychedelics introduced something deeply subversive to the West that the various establishments had very little choice but to repulse. LSD was truly an acid, dissolving almost everything which it came in contact with, beginning with the hierarchies of the mind, the superego, ego and unconscious, and going on from there to societies, various structures of authority of every imaginable kind, between patient and therapist, research and recreation, sickness and health, self and other, subject and object, the spiritual and the material. If all such lines are manifestations of the Apollonian strain, in Western civilization the impulse that erects distinctions, dualities and hierarchies, and then defends them, then psychedelics represented the ungovernable Dioncian force that lightly washes away all those lines. But it, that is surely not the case, that the forces unleashed by these chemicals are necessarily ungovernable. Even the most powerful acids can be carefully handled and put to use as tools for accomplishing important things. The guidelines represent a compendium of half a century's accumulated knowledge and wisdom about how to best approach the psychedelic journey, whether as a participant or as a guide. It covers the basics of set and setting, mental and physical preparation for the session, potential drug interactions, the value of formulating an intention, what to expect during the experience, both good and bad, the stages of the journey, what can go wrong and how to deal with frightening material, the supreme importance of post-session integration, and so on. And there you have it. How to Change Your Mind, The New Science of Psychedelics. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below so you buy it. You read. You never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.